Live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studio in Boston, Massachusetts, and the Gurkha Cigar Studio in beautiful British Columbia, welcome to the Smokin' Tobacco Show with your hosts, Matt Tobacco and Mitchell Santaga. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Smokin' Tobacco Show. My name is Matt Tobacco from SmokinTobacco.com. I am live in the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios, and I am joined once again by my very good friend, Mr. Mitchell Santaga, also of SmokinTobacco.com, who joins us in Canada, beautiful British Columbia, in the Gurkha Cigar Studios, uh, continuing to rock the Benjamin Dakota Rogers shirt. Uh, for those who are keeping track, this is... Uh, we actually have to go back and count. I need, I need to know how many consecutive episodes this has happened. But it's a lot of a lot of episodes. We're not going to spend too much time talking about who that is for those who don't know, and I'm sure a lot of people don't. So I'm just going to say, if you don't know who he is, go look him up and uh, check him out. Look him up. Look him up. Look him up. Um, you know, Mitchell. One of these days, you're gonna you're gonna have to start, you know, supporting other artists. You know. You know what? It's funny. So. Uh, again, not a lot of people know this about me, but I played in a band on and off, probably three or four different bands, maybe 10, 12 years. I did a little bit of touring locally, uh, did some studio work as well. But uh, I listen to music very strangely. I pretty much only will listen to one album for like months on end, and that's it. Just maybe over and over, I'll, and over again? I'll grab like, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe like dabble a little bit in this dabble a little bit in that but like 75 percent of my listening is only one album and i've i've been like that since i was a kid like did uh, anyone teach you that or is that something you've done on your own that's something i did on my own Uh, like you know i think with our age we were of an era that cds were still around but they were slowly starting to like disappear with the advent of mp3 players right so you know i was still around when uh, you know you'd go to the cd store and you'd wait for the release day of a cd and you'd go in and you'd buy it and you'd look flip through the 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 like the little pamphlet and stuff and read the lyrics and listen to the the cd from top to top to bottom right and i don't know i just naturally would do that and i would just i would just digest that cd to the absolute nth degree until i never wanted to listen to it again and then i I sometimes go years sometimes like multiple years where again i would would dabble in others other albums here and there but it was just mainly one album and that's that's how i do it um very interesting yeah (laughs) very interesting um why i I don't want to get into it because but i will just ask you this um no actually i forget i lost my train of thought oh yeah um in a very discreet way just for me and you so we don't have to get into the whole thing of what i'm really talking about in front of everybody um but i'm curious is that something that your cousin does too like as part of like when you're working on music like you just kind of no i i don't think so i think uh i think he listens to a very broad range of stuff uh if anything i maybe get it from my dad okay who we'd go on road trips and he would pick maybe like three albums and again he would just only play these three albums on every road trip so maybe i get it from him i don't know well i don't know if no i didn't know if maybe he did that like when he's making his own stuff or whatever or like just you're always listening to it trying to pick up on stuff or um i don't know people people who are into music you know they do a lot of things and some people might call it weird but 
I don't because yeah, I, I do think I think stuff. that it's everybody does things unique and they do things their own way and that's just how yeah. it works for them. You know, especially creative people like my father-in-law. He makes music. Um, you know, so Nicole's dad makes music, and I know he's he's just he's very he's very dialed in with it too and he and he will he'll just listen to it over and over and over again and makes changes and then yep. listen to it so it's yep. it's a process so and i have a lot of respect for it so um i just i know that's why i ask because it, it just i don't know if that i don't know it could be part of it too but um could be very interesting either way and um as someone who <laughs> just likes to listen to music just leisurely as well and um you know i agree uh it's fun um so like we this... uh we 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 have uh so you got your surprise. I teased it on spare notes. You you you, you got your surprise, yeah. and I know you couldn't wait. You're already smoking it, so it made its way to Canada, um, and you just look like as happy as I've ever seen you. You finally, dude. This this cigar hasn't even been on Canadian soil more than what like six or seven hours, and it's already on fire. <laughs> I know, and it's burning good too for for the shipment too. Oh man, look at that! Look at I that! Know. You didn't even have to let it rest. Look at that thing. This is straight off, straight off the boat, right off the shipment. Well, we'll it's, talk. A little, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what yeah. it is in a second. So don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> we have a guest that's waiting to come on. We got to bring him on. So without further yes. ado, uh, as Cigar Coop would say, the best executive director of the PCA of all time, <laughs> none other than the man himself, Mr. Scott Pierce of the Premium Cigar Association. Scott, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Doing great. I told great, you before, you. You know, I, I didn't need the same intro with Coop. I've been the only executive director in here, so I'm not really <laughs> sure what to compare it to. Uh, a different title, so. <laughs> I promised Coop I'd be on the bandwagon. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's great to have you here. Um, you know, Scott, it's, it's always a great time because um, we always feel like we can ask you almost anything, and we usually get the best response that you can give us back. And we appreciate that. Um, I know sometimes, you know, you can't always get into everything, but you're usually pretty forthcoming with whatever you tell us. So um, it, it, it's always ha awesome having you on because whether it's the trade show or it's legislative stuff, it's state stuff, it's federal stuff, it's, it's tax related stuff. It's no matter what it is, like you guys always have so much going on. So, and there's always things that are happening that, you know, come out in the news or whatever. And, so I know you got a lot on your plate, but uh, you always uh, pretty attack it pretty well. So it's always great. We get to check in with you and kind of just see with uh, what's going on. And sometimes we see stuff and you can explain it better. So I look forward to the show every year. So I'm uh, very excited to have you back. Oh, thanks so much for, for having me. Yeah, obviously a lot uh, going on. I hope everybody's getting excited for uh, T-minus about three weeks. I know in three weeks I will actually be in Vegas at that point. So I hope everybody's getting excited because uh, I think it's going to be uh, a really fun show, a really good show and um, I hope everybody sort of appreciates the last show in summertime. So it'll be good. Yeah, I know. And what a way to, what a way to kick it off a few weeks after uh, Vegas wins a Stanley cup. I mean, wow, it's, it's going to be championship city when we get there. <laughs> Could they not have just delayed the Stanley cup championship until like that weekend? That would have been fantastic. Dude, if we were there when that happened, or at least just be there for the parade. Man. <laughs> yeah. That would have yeah. been an epic parade. Yeah. I mean, I realize if you're a Vegas fan watching last night, it was exciting, but my God, that was a boring game. <laughs> well, I know Kevin and Barbara, Barbara's here. I know Kevin's probably still work, but uh, I know they were excited. Vegas natives. Um, they got their Stanley Cup yeah. championship. 
Um, good yeah, for them. It was awesome. I, I, I loved watching Chandler Stevenson hoist the cup again in Las Vegas. So it was good for me to relive that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting time. I, I fell asleep, but I, I, I made sure I went back and I rewatched it all this morning. Cause it was like, oh, I it's, can't miss that. It's amazing. that such a young team. Like again, obviously what, what they get put together five years ago or something like that, maybe less. I, I don't six. unfortunately follow six sport years. Back, six years ago. Like that. Yeah. And like, again, the first year they were in, they had to run an amazing playoff run. And then this year to win it, it's like, hold the cow, man. You know, I don't know how long the Canucks yeah. have been a team for, but like probably longer than I've been alive and we've never won a cup. So <laughs> you almost did, yeah, was... but we beat you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the Sandines couldn't quite, uh, or the Sandines couldn't quite bring it home. Uh, unfortunately for the, uh, man, you guys knew how to nope. riot though. I did, I would have never expected Vancouver to, to be a city to, <laughs> Or stuck to the ground for losing, but that was mad props. I normally, uh, you know, looked at that like uh, it's usually what college towns do when they, you know, win a big game or upset somebody, you know. So props to Vancouver for, you know, taking to the street. I know. I was, yeah, that was, uh, I was, that was a wild weekend. Damn. I didn't think hockey fans in Canada were that wild. That was the moment I realized how serious Canada was in hockey. I can't, hockey was in Canada, I should say. Um, that's when I was like, I mean, I knew hockey was a big deal up there, but when that happened, I was like, damn, <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, it makes a lot more sense now. Um, but Hey, you know, there's always the future. It's never too late. And, you know, you can always, uh, can always go back in the future, you know, yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone here wants Ryan Reynolds to buy the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, really? That's interesting. He yeah. just pulled out of buying the senators. I don't know if the Canucks will happen. Isn't he from British Columbia though? Uh, I, he's definitely Canadian, but I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's from BC. Yeah. I don't know where he's yeah. from, but I know he's definitely Canadian. So he might be yeah, from, he's he might be from Canadian. BC. I thought he was from BC, but he, he probably is. Um, so let's get to, uh, let's get to our first few segments of the night so we can kind of get, get rolling here. Our cigars tonight are brought to you by none other than two guys cigars. If you head over to the number two, that's right. That's the number two. GuysCigars.com today, you can find an amazing selection of cigars and cigar accessories, including the new McAuliffe Black, which is now on sale. Uh, head over there, pick it up today, and uh, that's once again at the number two, GuysCigars.com. Scott, you're our guest. Uh, what cigar are you smoking with us tonight on this fine evening? Smoking a good old classic Tatuaje. I'm, <laughs> somebody's calling me. Sorry about that. Uh, Tatuaje, the uh, Negociant Monopole. I Ooh. probably butchered the pronunciation. Tatuaje. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Nice going, going, reaching back. I went for a larger size. I have a, they, they, uh, Pete does one for Curtis Draper here called the WCD Redux. Okay. And um, he, they, they just sent some, uh, they were, they were out of stock for a long time. And I kept texting Pete and, and was telling him, Guy, you got to make more of these, because uh, I I I will buy multiple boxes at a time because I love it so much. And he got some in, and I've been going through them like crazy. But it's a it's a it's a petite Corona, so I go through them too quick. So I figured if I was going to be on a show, I'll go with the longer cigar. And I just reached into my humidor and saw these and thought this would be a good one to go with. Yeah, that's uh, Tatawa is always a good choice. I've that's that's one of oh, my yeah. regulars. My it's tattoo There's like a handful of brands, and that's definitely one of my regulars. And it's something that, um, almost everything he makes, I, I've really never been dissatisfied. So it's it's always a safe bet, right? Uh, always makes some great yeah. cigars. So I'm glad to see you enjoying that, Mitchell. I know that you are smoking uh, something very fancy. Uh, 
the cigar that was kind of a big deal for smoking tobacco uh, last year. Can I get a focus? Oh, I don't think I, think I don't think you're gonna get it. No, no. So, yeah, the Alfonso. I think this is. Uh, you that, sent me the number six, the nope, six and a quarter by. Nope, that's the number four. That's the cigar of oh, the, the year. Number four. That there is you the, go. that is our cigar of the year right there. Mitchell is uh, yeah. enjoying right over there. It's very exciting, very good cigar. And I am smoking a Intemperance Center to Volstad pre-release from Romacraft Tobacco. Roma, yeah. Um, very good cigar. Really enjoyed this. I got this at one of the pre-release events uh, that Skip and Mike Rosales were at, which was actually at the number two guys, uh, two guy, it was two guys smoke shop rather as it's known brick and mortar wise, uh, which is great. And I got a bundle of these and these cigars are fantastic. I actually grabbed another one really enjoying these. Um, and I know skip and Mike talked about the wrapper, the Sumatra wrapper that's on the pre-release is going to be slightly different from the one that actually comes out. So very excited to try the post-release version of the cigar and kind of compare notes side by side. This is fantastic as it is. And once again, we are cutting and lighting our cigars with Cigar Blondie accessories. Available in three amazing finishes. And now Mitchell has his own, uh, finally. <laughs> Chrome, black, and white uh, featuring the sleek flat fan blade lighter and the double guillotine. Always super sharp cutter. Only at CigarBlondie.com. Dude, this cutter is so smooth. It is. Like... That's a great set is, for $99. Like, I don't know if I've, you know, I've had some nice guillotines, but holy, this is this is super smooth. And for the first few cuts, quite sharp, too. It's, nice it's clean cut on this. Yeah, I've been using mine for over a year now, and it's still, it, it still cuts and feels like it's brand new. It's it's not flimsy. Yeah. Like, it, you know, some of them, they get all the floppy. Like, this is nice and rigid. It's great. Really yeah, great quality. Yeah, I was very surprised. The cutter's really nice. So, Scott, obviously, we'll get the big thing out of the way first because I know that's the big thing that's on everyone's mind at this time of the year. Trade show's coming up. We touched on it. A um, couple of things about the trade show. Yeah. So, first of all, as we know, this is what you know. we know. And for those listening and watching, if you don't know, uh, this is what you may have missed. So, this will be the last time the trade show is held not only – at the Venetian Expo Center, formerly the Sands Expo Center. Uh, mm -hmm. But this will be the last time the trade show is held in July. Next year for 24, yeah. you guys announced recently that the trade show will be moving to, and you're going to have to help me out on the exact dates, but I know it's end of March for 2024. Yeah, March 27th through the 25th. Okay. So that it will also be the last time that we have a trade show that's three and a half days long, and it'll just be a three-day show. Exactly. No more half day on Tuesday. Um. It also will be at the Las Vegas Convention Center um, next year. But the only thing we don't know, and I know you guys are working on it, uh, is we don't know where the trade show will be after that. And I know there's been a lot of talk and speculation, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And we'll, we'll yeah. get into that in a second. Um, but, you know, let's talk about this year's show really quick. You know, going into it, you know, the last couple of years um, – in my opinion, in the opinion of a lot of the fellow media that I regularly converse with, you know, the consensus of the trade show has been good. Um, you know, from 21 with the 100-day prep show during the COVID years. Um, 92 to be exact. 92. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like the show that I think everybody 
you know, hoped and wished it would be the grandest thing. But the fact that you guys put together what you put together in the amount of time that you did and with the restrictions, um, you guys did a hell of a job. 22 last year, a lot bigger than that, a lot better than that. Um, you know, obviously more manufacturers returned to the show because, you know, they were in a place to return to the show. And now looking at this year's show, we're seeing even more people come back, including tech by technicality general will be there by way of forged and Altus USA will be there mm -hmm. uh, as well yeah. as Hoya de Nicaragua, which also has been absent because they normally exhibit under Drew estate, but now they will actually be at the show this year on their own. Mm -hmm. So I have to say without even getting to the show yet, um, you know, you guys have made some changes, and I think that it's safe to say that, you know, while not every change may make everybody happy, I think you guys have listened, and you're throwing the shit against the wall, so to speak, to see what works, and you're actually attempting to, you know, make changes and see if it helps, see if it doesn't, see if it brings in more attendance. Um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy couple years for you, Scott, but tell us, you know, Going into this trade show, do you feel that this is probably the the best show that you guys are going into thus far, uh, at least in the last you know four years, four to five years, uh, even going kind of back into the IPCPR days? Um, do, do you feel like you still have a lot to, to grow and a lot to change with the show? Um, do you feel like you've really kind of accomplished that? You know, what, what kind of how do you guys feel? Um, just you know, kind of point blank about where the show is at today. I. From my perspective, it's uh, we're we're in, as you noted, a good place, and I think that we are in the uphill kind of way of going back to um, the trajectory of the tra of, of transitioning, right? Um, yep. Trade shows, trade shows for for the better part of the you know the past decade or so have all been kind of going through a little bit of an identity crisis, right? Yeah. And so I think that it's you know we kind of were taking a look at that. Coming through 2019, we changed a lot of things and we're starting to do some things differently. Um, and then, you know, leading to uh, with the whole consumer day idea and some of these other things that were kind of happening. And then obviously pandemic and some other industry issues happened. And so now that it's been a few years and we, we've kind of had some of those lessons learned, we're able to start implementing some of these ideas. And as you've said, you know, we've really done a lot. We've we've talked. I've talked to probably uh, well, well north of, of a thousand different uh, either exhibitors or retailers in the industry getting feedback from them listening to them we've put out multiple surveys i think four or five over the past couple of years asking different questions in different ways to be honest with you sometimes it's the same question but worded differently to ensure that we're getting the best and most authentic feedback we can possibly get and then like you said you know we have to make a decision right strategy oftentimes is about what not to do versus what to do and and understanding that we aren't going to make everybody happy all the time. And that's just the nature of, of the beast. Uh, but really, as we looked at the totality of the trade show, the changes that needed to be made uh, and some of the other things, I do think that, you know, we're in a much better place right now. Also, as you mentioned, um, we're in a better place in terms of our position kind of with the convention centers and host places and things like that, too. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people realize that with the types of contracts, what you can and can't do, and sometimes some of the financial obligations you have of being able to do certain things. And so um, I think that we're we're excited to try a lot of new things next year. I'm really, really excited about some plans we have, not only for next year, but the year after, um, uh, of looking at 
just to go back a little bit, just to give everybody a little um, insight into how the sausage is made. Please. But in October of 2021, we the, the entire board came here, and, and I wanted to get a uh, get us all here for a good strategic planning session. And it was just everybody, all hands here, phones away, everything else to focus on this. And, and really, what it comes down to, uh, and, and I don't want to, um, I'm distilling it down. I don't want to, you know, uh, trivialize the amount of work that was put in. But really, ultimately, as we sort of were to peel back all the layers of the trade show, we realized that, uh, well, it's not necessarily the, the, the way that people think about it. I think the way business-wise we think about it really needs to be this, is that we need to put on a party, a good time for people, um, where business gets done, where cigar business gets done. And I think that sometimes the conventional wisdom really was more about, hey, it's a trade show. We're coming to do business. We want to do X. We want to do Y. And we want to do Z. But we really have been able to say, okay, well, how do we do it in a way We've got people that love the industry. The industry is about relationships and having a good time. Uh, and so we want to be able to enhance those types of things. Um, you know, and so things like, you know, and, and all credit to Jose Blanco and Carlito Fuente last year coming up with that idea and, and just knocking that thing out of the park. People are excited about it. So we're building off of that. Uh, so I think, you know, to, you know, multiply words here and, and do a long, long answer longer. Uh, I think we're in a much better place than we have been in the past, um, probably since I got here in terms of where we're at. We're, no, we're not in crisis mode with the FDA. We're not in crisis mode internally as an industry in terms of the FDA and policy and some of those other things. Um, and that's evidenced by the fact of the companies coming back and, and the ways in which we've been participating and working with each other. So I think that we're in a, a fantastic position right now, not only for the trade show, but, but PCA position-wise. Uh, for the industry. And, and and that includes advocacy legislation and other aspects of membership too. Yeah. You know, I will say just kind of talking about this year, but then also kind of looking ahead to next year, even though not, I mean, next year is still, you know, next year and things haven't been confirmed for next year, but seeing how things are going and you make assumptions, but um, for this year, we know for sure, like I said before, well, let's talk about the big four for a second. You know, I remember when the big four said, we're out, we're not coming back. Um, you know, general out to this Jewish state Davidoff, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Hey, we're not coming back. We're out. I know that there was several reasons why it wasn't really just one thing. Um, now seeing half of them back and what sounds like maybe three of the four will be back for next year. Uh, again, I know next year's next year and nothing's confirmed, but, you know, just things I hear and see. Um, you know, do you think a lot of these changes helped influence bring some of them back? I mean, it's it's been something that we've talked about for the last couple of shows. Like, hey, like, they're gone. You know, we obviously we want to see them at the show. You guys want to see – everybody wants to see them at the show. It's good for you. It's good for PCA. It's good for business. It's good for retailers. It's good for everybody to have them there, maybe just except for them at the time. Uh, but now seeing them start to come back – um, I know that was something that the PCA worked on too, but and do you think part of it was some of these changes that you guys have made that kind of helped entice them to come back, maybe moving the show earlier in the year? And I know a lot of people talked about that. Um, maybe some other things, um, that we're now kind of seeing paying off. I, I do think the changes, it, it, even if the changes themselves weren't necessarily the reason, I think that the fact that changes happening that there's more transparency we are reaching out more manufacturers now actually voting members on the board um uh, the other aspect of it is you know throughout my entire tenure here i've maintained very close relationships positive relationships 
with you know Glenn Wilson from Drew of State, you know Javier Estadas from from Altidus, and with Regis from from General and, and some of the and uh, and multiple folks within each of those organizations, um, and 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 not as much communication with with Davidoff, but some. Um, uh, but it, you know, I think that even the nature of the way the changes came about, I think is, has been something that they have, have welcomed. Um, and so I think that, um, at the March, probably, I think ultimately makes a lot more sense as we looked at it for business cycle wise and business, you know, in terms of how they do business when they would want to be able to meet with retailers and have orders and get shipments ready at the beginning of the busy season, rather than in the middle of it in, in the summertime makes a lot more sense for them. So the flip side of that too is that a lot of work that we've been doing on the regulatory front has very much been a very good and coordinated effort with all parties within the industry. And I've said it to multiple people and all the other industries in which I have worked, whether it was healthcare, I would have never imagined going to go meet on Capitol Hill representing radiology if GE, Hologic, Siemens, and some of the others weren't a part of that conversation. Same thing in construction with, you know, the Caterpillars and the 3Ms and the Parsons Brinkerhoffs. So I think it makes all the sense in the world that as an industry, the more coordinated and more united we are, clearly the more effective we're going to be. So I think that with the development of the relationships, again, the nature by which these decisions were made, and I ultimately think that the decisions themselves, I think all uh, were good signals to them that this is in fact all moving in the direction that they liked. And I do think that the show is going to be um, a good success for them when they come back. Yeah, I mean, I, and I hope so too. Obviously, we want them to come back. But we want them to stay back. You know, we don't want them to come. You know, leave again. Yeah. Uh, I I remember I wasn't around for IPCPR twenty was it twenty eighteen, um, but I remember you know hearing a lot of people say uh, of all different backgrounds in regards to how they in, are involved in the industry. Um, you know how they were disappointed in that show and they were very you know upset with that show and it just you know for a lot of different reasons depending on what your angle was uh, and I think that's been a huge thing is because like PC uh, IPCPR 18 19 COVID happened 2020 there was no show uh, so coming back for 21 22 now here we are for 23 um, these these three years I think have been kind of a big deal I mean name change like I said other changes to the show some board member changes. Um, I think things are starting to go in a better direction, I think is the consensus would say. Uh, and I know there's still people out there who they have things they want to pick apart about the trade show or the PCA as an organization. And, and you know, there's always, the, you're never going to be a hundred percent. Right. Um, but mm -hmm. I think, I think you guys have done a great job uh, in the last couple of years of trying to, you know, not just making changes, but trying to, like you said, make the best executive decisions. Uh, and that's all you can do. Uh, but it, it seems to me that, you know, there's more positivity surrounding uh, the PCA in the last couple of years. And, you know, it, so far, it, you know, attendance at the show for in terms of exhibitors, I mean, this year, any kind of reflection of that. Uh, I'm curious to see when we actually get to um, the trade show. I would ask you now, but I, it's probably not fair to ask you now in terms of do you know how many people right now, as of right now, you have already registered to come to the show this year? Yeah, so I, funnily enough, I was doing a couple of different projects today. So in terms of exhibitors, we have close to 250, and um, the the show floor is practically sold out. I mean, there's a few 10 by 10s here and there, and we've got a couple of other activations we're doing. But um, so show floor really, really full. Um, in terms of retail registrations, we're tracking relatively close to 2018, 2019, uh, a little uh, ahead of 2022. 
Um, we're probably about 500 and uh, I'm going to say between 530 and 550 retailer accounts. And that represents about almost 1300 badges. Um, so retailers, you know, it's a trend we've seen that has started in 21 where uh, retail accounts will bring more than uh, one or two people now. And that's great. Um, as I've you know, always said, it's better that the retailer is there and can spread out because the likelihood that a manufacturer will get a chance to sit down with the retailer then goes up. If there's multiple people that are representing the retailer, they can kind of divide and conquer. Um, so it is tracking uh, well. We Again, we account accounts. And so one account could be one store. It could be three stores. Or it could be, you know, a smoker friendly with, you know, 200 and some odd stores. So, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, again, the, all these things to me sound, you know, so far, things are, again, they're heading in the right direction. Um, and we hope that it continues that way. Uh, just even if it's just a little bit every year, you know, a little bit more, um, more people come, you know, retail, like retailers coming to attend the show, more people come back or continue to attend exhibiting the show um it's always great right i mean at the end of the day the biggest thing i like to remind people when i can is that that trade show is as much as it's about business and as much as it's about um you know everyone being there or whatever um that trade show is done for a primary reason that trade show is held to you know make money for the pca so that they have money for all of the other things that you do outside of a trade show uh which is you know even more important I would say, if not the same, uh, even more important because, you know, it funds all the things you guys do down in Washington and in all the states um, in terms of you know, flavor bans and tax caps and all this other stuff that nobody likes to hear about because it sounds boring, you know, and, until until things happen, the way you purchase your cigars gets, you know, different and more uncomfortable. Then all of a sudden people say, whoa, what happened? Uh, well, this try to warn you uh this is why you have yeah. to go to premiumscar.org and uh and sign up for stuff when these emails go out so um very you know our, our good friends in nevada will, will definitely recognize we got the tax cap passed there so we're talking about a significant decrease that uh, yes uh we'll be paying for cigars in nevada so that'll be a good one yeah i that's so that's awesome. i yeah i did see that and i was like wow that's amazing because i know you know buying cigars out there it can be a little pricey too um you know, and I, I know what what was their what was their tax before in Nevada? Oh, uh, I, I knew you were going to ask as soon as I said that. Um, Thirty five. It, it was high. It was high. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a high percentage, and we got it down to a to a cap then. Um, and what's good about the caps is is you it, it's a it's a once you get it done and it and it does it in a way that differentiates premium cigars. Some definitions are slightly different than others, and things like that. But it's a very good way that we have now that starts and we're starting to get you know closer and closer to a critical mass of these states that have this definition in there that allows us then a lot more um, ammunition going to other states and even federally uh, you know and so it really is very helpful that we have these out there that differentiates premium cigars premium cigar smokers from all the other tobacco products that they're looking to lump together so it's it's good momentum i think with this is for this year so i think within the past couple of years we've had I think six tax caps and some cigar bar bills that are advancing, you know, things in places like Waco, Texas and some of these others and stuff. So, I mean, the big thing it, I, I talk about this, I say we're like the left tackles in football because oftentimes our sexiest stat is zero. So zero sacks for a left tackle is a great day, but it's a boring statistic. But really, we haven't had any tax increases in three years, either at the federal or state level. And so it's a boring stat, but it, you know, sexy that your, your cigars aren't costing you anymore you know, in that sense, from a tax perspective. Right, right. 
I wish we could do something more about inflation, but you know, at least taxes aren't going up. Hey, at least, in terms of inflation, at least we're all in that together. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone's going to deal yeah, with that yeah, across the board. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to circle back to the trade show. I want a couple of things, and then I want to circle back forward to some of the tax cap stuff. Um, in, in regards to the trade show, you know, we, we've talked about this year. Next year is going to be an earlier show at Las Vegas Convention Center, different venue. Um, I know that it's going to be a little different. Um, do you guys have host hotels for that yet? And some of the yeah. other stuff. Yep, all those contracts are done and signed. Yep. Okay, so that's all. So yeah. next year, next year is in the books. That's all done. Now, twenty-five yeah. is the one. I know you guys haven't formally announced anything yet, but I'm sure, as you know, the you know the chatter amongst the industry is New Orleans, Fort Worth, and Nashville. Those are the three. Those are the three that I hear about every day, and it's the three that everyone tells me they hear about every day. And I know you guys haven't finalized, and I know you're probably not going to announce it here, um, but the question I will ask you is how far are you from being a hundred percent for 25 or maybe let's say 25, 26? Um, Cause I'm not sure exactly how you are proceeding after next year. If you're doing multiple years with a contract or if you're kind of going one by one, um, just what is the status of that? So we are um, to be very frank. I thought we were going to be able to announce today that uh, oh. we had 25 done. So we are, we're, we're just this close to, to 25, um, 26, uh, and beyond, uh, we'll, we'll start working on 26. Um, the reason why people are talking about those cities is because I've, I've mentioned it, like you said, you know, I'm, um, we, we are looking at all those cities, uh, for, for 26. Um, and so it's, um, some hurdles in some places that, that exist, uh, you know, smoking exemptions and things like that, that happen. Um, and so we're, we're, we're trying to find as many pathways uh, for that as possible. The other thing that we're, we, we really look at here is um, manufacturers and their cost to do business at the trade show is, is, is one of our sort of priorities that we look at as well. And, you know, moving the show every single year to a different city starts to become pretty expensive for, for manufacturers. As you saw, you know, good old Juani there um, up in Seattle. Um, Juan Lopez. You know, good old, good old Juani Lopez. Um, you know, hopefully uh, they're enjoying the Pacific Northwest, Northwest up there. But, you know, for a size of a booth like Gurkha, for them to continue to ship that around and do other things around the country um, in different locations can tend to be a little bit more expensive. And so... We try to balance that with obviously the desire for people to experience different cities um, and and also us being able to build out, like I talked about earlier, um, a good experience overall for the whole show that week. So if we're going to, for example, New Orleans, well, New Orleans has a smoking ban. So if we're going to put on a show, how are we going to be able to develop an environment that's going to be smoker friendly there? Right. So that's always a part of what we do. Vegas, it's built in. Um, but people sometimes can get Vegas fatigue, but we do know that, and I've looked at this for the past 23 years now of statistics for this trade show is that whenever we go to Vegas and we leave and we come back, Vegas attendance spikes. So there's Vegas fatigue, but people do like going to Vegas, right? It's, it's a fun <laughs> playground to go to. So, um, yeah, all those, all those cities are in consideration. Uh, you know, a thank you to McAuliffe. I saw Dan on here earlier who, when we were in Dallas doing some retail visits just about a month, two months ago now, time flies. Um, we met with the Dallas Fort Worth city, talked about the convention space and they seemed optimistic about getting us an exemption. And, and really ultimately it comes down to a few things for us. Um, 
hotels obviously is a big thing, but the biggest, most important thing is we need a trade show where they have space for us and that will allow us to smoke uh, on the trade show floor. So those venues are, are kind of, you know, few and far between these days. So that's why we work with kind of what we have and trying to come up with some different solutions in, in different locations. We've looked at, we've, I, you know, I, I reached out and talked with the folks at, you know, um, um, in Louisville for uh, Churchill Downs, uh, just for the mere fact that they have smoking that happens there at the Derby. Uh, but they would only let us smoke on the infield. You know, at one point, the um, uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, you know, I, I talked about potentially doing a trade show on the football, fo football field. Um, they said originally, yeah, sure, we can explore it. If we have the roof open, we can smoke. And then when did, you know, want to reach out for an RFP, they said, no, no smoking. Um, but we're still kind of working some of those angles. We've got some connections with some good people in places like Indianapolis and Nashville. So we continue to work all those angles. Um, as far as like future kind of dates um, moving beyond that, you know, the Vegas Convention Center is under construction. And um, so you'll see a little bit of a different show in 24. It, it actually works in our favor in some ways. But once we get through all that, I think we, we'll start looking. It's better for us if we can kind of sign long-term contracts, uh, not necessarily consecutive years, but if we can sign a long-term contract, it's, it's much, much better for us um, in terms of negotiations, more favorable contract terms, maybe even better pricing and things like that. And then, um, and then even hotel negotiations, getting better room rates, that kind of stuff too. So it's all, it's all kind of related, um, and, and, and multiple different layers that I think oftentimes people don't really know that goes into kind of putting out contracts for these types of events. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a logistical, I don't want to say nightmare or headache, like painted in a bad light, but it, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to put on a show. Um, I call it a wilderness of mirrors. If if it was the way I I like to try to look at it, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like <laughs> the biggest thing is because of the smoking. If we were any other kind of industry, it would be no issue. We could have our trade show anywhere. Um, but because of that smoking factor, it automatically you know diminishes our our options of where we can have a show as an industry um, because a lot of people don't want that. Um, do you think that as time goes on? Um, and, you know, non-smoking restrictions or the non-favorability of the smoking, um, do you think that's just going to continue to make it more and more difficult every year to have a trade show like this? Do you think that there's a point where we may just have to sacrifice smoking on the trade show floor uh, eventually? Um, or is there enough options out there that we, you know, have a long while before that maybe becomes a reality. I do believe that it would take quite a while for us to be completely out of options. Um, there are a few cities and new Orleans actually has been very good to us in terms of a lot of the work that they've done, uh, the convention center, which again is, is, you know, owned by the city effectively, or at least in a partnership. I'm not exactly sure which, but um, there is an element of government ownership over the uh, convention center there. But they did a whole economic research and went through and showed the amount of money that we bring in, um, you know, on a low end, what that means for taxes for the city, what that means for total spend for the city. And uh, ultimately, when you look at that and, and everything else that goes on, you know, with other conventions come into town, um, it's it's a it's a big it's a real number in, in terms of our spend. Um, the good news is, is that our attendees and our exhibitors uh, love to entertain. They love to eat. They love to drink. They love to smoke and they like to do it for many, many hours on end. 
And that's a very big selling point. Quite frankly, we do it, I think, more so than a lot of other industries when they have conventions. So, um, but, you know, we've worked on contingency plans for, you know, what would happen if X, Y, and Z were to take place. And um, nothing's going to happen where the rug will get pulled out from underneath us. There's no federal law that's on the horizon that would ban smoking that just would never happen. So I I think that we're probably at the point. I mean, there's only, you know, two or three places really that we can hold this. It's the size of the show floor combined with the smoking that really restricts us. Okay. And so, you know, we, we, you know, we need 500,000 square feet of space to build out a show floor where we can do all of our activities to smoke. So that's the challenge. Um, But I don't see anything on the horizon that should be a concern at the moment for any reason why we wouldn't be able to continue to do the trade show as we do it right now. Okay. Yeah, I mean the other the other thing. Go ahead. Is you, you kind of mentioned like the size of the trade show, right? Not even just like square feet, but also in terms of accommodating people, um, both attending and um, like manufacturers who are uh, displaying as well. On on average, what would you say the ranges of like physically how many people are all together in the trade show? Because again, like I, I think some cities have been mentioned, and multiple times people are like, well there's only like seven restaurants in the area. Like they can't feed X thousands of people after the trade show. Right. So what, what, what on average do we kind of look at for the trade show? Before you answer, like I'll piggyback. I know when people discussed Nashville, someone had said, and I don't know if this is true. um, You would know better than I do. um, But someone had said, there's not enough hotel space in Nashville. Wouldn't work. Um. I, I think there is maybe not necessarily next to the trade, the, the, the convention center. I was, I was literally just in Nashville last week. Um, and first time I've been there in like 20 years, um, an insane amount of growth that, that goes on there and, and crazy awesome city and really smoker friendly. A lot of really great places to, to hang out and eat and smoke there. And, um, it was a really great city. Um, but in terms of the amount of people, uh, to answer, to answer Mitchell's question, I would say between seven and 8,000, um, you know, I think we'll probably anticipate as we move to spring and some of these other things, I think between seven and 8,000 total uh, for everybody coming in for the event. This, the, the unique thing about our industry is that we have a massive show floor for not a lot of people. <laughs> and it's really kind of interesting that way. I was at a convention um, just a few months before I started this position and it had probably triple this or well i would say double the amount of people that were there for it and the show floor was about maybe a little over half the size of ours and it still didn't feel full right um and so it i think the nature of it and it's because look you you have a booth and you've got you know the rockies and the gurkhas and the pedro and then you have large booths because they want to be able to bring in a lot of retailers at a time to sit down and place orders and go through products and discuss things so you need larger footprints right it's not like others where when I would do a booth in previous, you know, um, jobs, it's a much smaller booth and people are just coming in, they're getting pieces of paper. You're having a five minute conversation and then they're on their way and you're there more for, you know, networking and that kind of stuff. And show floor hours are like four hours in the middle of the day in between education sessions. So it's a really unique sort of inverted model in that sense to where we have some wider aisles and we have some larger booths and the way that the booths are configured makes larger spaces in between things. So it's, it's really kind of interesting in that regard. Um, so in terms of some of those locations, that's another reason why we look at where we look uh, to hold the trade show is what is it that we're going to be able to provide and build and offer as a total experience 
not just what's happening on the trade show floor, not just the booths and not just the square footage, but what's this total experience that we can provide because a lot of business gets done off the show floor, a lot of networking. That's one of the reasons people like coming to this is because it's a small niche group of people that love cigars as much as we all do. So an opportunity to get together with, you know, a huge portion of them um, with people that you love in the industry, with the great folks who create the cigars. It's, it's just a great time. And so we want to make sure that we capitalize on that. You mentioned some of these events um, happening. Obviously, we have the opening party this year as well. Um, is there anything this year special happening for the opening party different than any other years? And then also, can you talk a bit about some of those um, like after hours uh, events happening and, and what those kind of look like this year? Yeah, thanks for the question. I wanted to talk about those. Uh, the opening party, uh, Espinosa, and uh, is, it kind of spearheaded the uh, sponsorship for the event this year. Uh, so they were wanted to kind of do a, a multi-sponsor event. So we've got Espinosa, Dunbarton, Room 101, and Quality Importers doing a four-sponsored opening reception party. So it'll be a little similar to, to last year, uh, but with just kind of a, a little bit of a different setup. And, and they'll obviously do their thing with the cigars and how they want uh, to go about that. But what we wanted to do, like we said, the totality of the experience is we partner with this great company called Fuse, who... Uh, has done this for a couple of other shows like the shot show, which is the big gun show that happens in Vegas and then the car wash show, which is another big show. They just did it as well where they partner with different venues. And then we as attendees are able to go to these venues. You get, you know, free entry, expedited access, that kind of stuff. And they kind of take care of everything there. Um, but they are doing two specific cigar networking events on Saturday night and Sunday night uh, away from the Venetian. So you know, you get to go from eight to 10, have a cigar somewhere. Um, we're looking at a couple of different outdoor venues. We're just trying to gauge over the next couple of weeks, how many people sign up for it. So we know what size venue we need to get. Uh, but we've talked about like the Chateau. I think it's over at the, the Paris Valleys that overlooks the, um, the Bellagio fountains. It's a big outdoor space. Um, so just a great time. And you know, um, it, it's free, you know, just to sign up. And then that way they get you in. You can purchase an upgraded open bar package for these events if you want to. It's not terribly expensive, um, but you can also just go for free and, and then you can just hang out and it's just kind of at, at will. But, you know, we've already we've had a great response already. I think we have just under 400 that have already signed up for these. And so um, not only do we have the cigar networking events on Saturday and Sunday night, but at 10 p 1030 p.m. every single night of the trade show, um, it's there. You can go to a club together as PCA and, and, you know, kind of do what you need to do and hang out and party, dance, drink, all that good stuff. And I believe what they're doing, um, but don't hold me to this as gospel law, but I believe that these are all places where there is going to be some place and element that is smoker friendly. So even if like the clubs indoors, there's like an outdoor area where you would be able to have a cigar. Yeah, that was going to be my next question for sure is whether or not those clubs do have smoking areas or smoking accessibilities because uh, I definitely know, like you said, you know, obviously with the networking events, that's a very important thing. But, you know, someone might want to enjoy like a little cigarillo or something during during some of those late nights for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe that they are. Like some of the clubs are looking at are like Tau and some of these others. And so Tau has that outdoor area right there at the Venetian that you can go to and, and, and have a cigar. And so I think that that's what they're looking at uh, to for those clubs. There might be one or, or, or so that they do that it might not be a smoking event. Uh, but, you know, it's a good time to get together, hopefully with, you know, three, four, five hundred of your closest cigar pals and hang out and have a good time. And uh, even if it's just for a couple hours and have a few drinks and then you can head back and 
relax at one of the cigar uh, friendly places uh, that's right there. Yeah, I know awesome. that you guys had talked a lot about, you know, the importance of stuff that happens off of the trade show floor as well and finding more and more ways to get people together, give people options. I know something that gets talked about, I'm sure you don't like to hear it, but <laughs> so one the one thing that happens a lot is people often compare um, like the TPE opening night party, the industry night party that they host compared to, you know, the stuff that goes on at PCA. Uh, and while I think PCA is definitely the superior cigar show, uh, there's a lot of people who have been to TPE and seen the, you know, the grand party that they put on the first night. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people look at that and be like, well, why don't we have that at PCA? Uh, I know that that party is probably a lot more expensive than the stuff you guys do at PCA and I'm sure obviously yeah money comes into it too and, and def that party definitely costs six digits easily um, to put on so I, I know it's a lot more expensive so a lot of times it, it could come down to hey it's just not financially financially you know it doesn't make sense financially to have a party like that but hey like we're, we're trying to find other ways to do things that are exciting uh, for people who yeah. are attending the trade show um, and it seems to me like you guys are really playing with some interesting ideas. Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully so, that works. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be able to do it in a way that that's kind of responsible again, kind of, as you talked about, uh, you know, um, we, just to give you, I mean, our, our, our opening reception, it, it costs us <laughs> a, a, a lot of six figures just to put on kind of what we do, you know, food and beverage is expensive and, you know, it's one of those things where we talk about, you know, we, we, we spend roughly 800, $850 per retailer that comes through to, to the show floor on, on all the stuff that we spend the money on. Right. Um, which is great. That's what, you know, again, manufacturers want the retailers there. So we want to do that. And it's a good balancing act, right? To your point, we do need the show to be profitable because that's what is going to fund all of the advocacy and everything else that we do. Um, if I didn't have to worry about that, then we would put on a killer party. I can probably just by nature of seeing pictures and understanding of what goes on there, it's probably closer to a seven figure party that is put on there just because Vegas and everything else there is so expensive. Um, cause I know how much our 2019 party cost both for us and the sponsor. Um, and it, 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 while it wasn't seven figures, it was very much closely approaching that number. Um, and so I, 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 I can tell you that, um, it's, it's no small investment. Um, and I, while I would love to be able to put on something that people talk about, you know, for weeks on end when they go home, uh, at the end of the day, you know, while we do still need to put on a good time for folks, we do need to balance that with a business does need to get done. And also the business of PCA needs to get done, which is ensuring it's a successful show for us to have the funds necessary to do all the things that we're doing across the country. Um, and, and now even internationally to, to help stave off bad policy, wherever it tries to sprout up like horrible weeds. Yeah, it's funny you say that because Mitchell, um, as you know, lives in Canada, and Canada has some of the worst, the worst uh, taxes and, and whatnot on cigars. I mean, Mitchell, what are the... What what do you what are you guys getting for a a a, a US ten dollar cigar up there right now? Thirty, forty bucks? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it really depends, but yeah, it's about thirty to forty five dollars, depending on your province, depending on the cigar itself. Um, even at ten dollars they'll kinda Yeah, it's uh it's it's crazy. So you're looking at what, 
150 to 350 percent depending on a few other things Yikes. so you know when 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 people hear 35 percent 45 percent and they're starting to get scared it's like you know you should be scared because it can get up to 150 percent or 300 percent you know if you don't if you don't stop it because um or if you don't uh yeah if you, if you don't if you don't have your voice heard and say this is something we enjoy this is something we want then uh pretty much what happened here is we just don't have we don't have the associations we don't have the amount of people to support fighting against a lot of these things and we have few voices and they don't get heard and then these things get passed and nobody really and then most people don't even really know until it happens and then they're like oh uh, why didn't i know about this you know <laughs> it, now yes we've been trying to do a lot more with um with uh particularly a lot of the canadian distributors and trying to organize and get some more stuff done there and uh, start providing a lot more service information sharing the one thing that we do have here in the u.s that benefits us as we kind of go into these new international spheres is the unique blood sport of lobbying <laughs> and the way that in which the machinations work here in dc it's really unlike most other countries in that regard and so um but the 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 mandate that i've given for my government affairs team is to be local everywhere and why is because the more localized we are in terms of our relationships with uh, you know those that are on the ground there whether it's retailers distributors even consumers um, or manufacturers and their relationships is they're going to know the people and who who they're going to need they know the people with whom we need to uh, have relations and to be able to relationships in order for us to pull the right levers in order for us to be able to have the right conversations and to be able to move things through the way they need to. In DC, it's a little bit more straightforward as crazy as that sounds. It's a little bit more straightforward in DC as opposed to going to, you know, Ottawa or, you know, Belgium or uh, Brussels, for example, or some of these other places. Yeah. I was actually just going to ask you like, you know, if there's been, you know, how much involvement has PCA had in, outside of the u.s you know specifically canada obviously being our closest neighbor that uh, i would say you know has issues with that and uh, you know and until you know like mitchell said they, they don't have they don't have people like you in the pca um and some of the other organizations that do exist here in the united states um that do all of these things and it's and it's such a it's such a great example of what he just said as to as to why it's not so much you know what and how it's it's why it's why premium cigar association is important it's exactly what mitchell said we don't have any voices here so like things get passed and you know what there's no opposition to it and and then and then it goes into law and then it's just too late and people are like oh i didn't know about this well you know they don't have that up there so it's like you know we 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 do have this here and we have to support it because without our support you know and doing things like the trade show and making the trade show profitable and all these things that we've already talked about tonight, you know, it, it all, it always goes back. And I always try to make sure that, you know, I, I, I always bring it back to this because I, it is the, it is the most important part is, you know, all of these things, you know, go towards making the PCA profitable, you know, us supporting and, and signing things, you know, when, you know, the calls to action go out, right. I know those emails go out like, Hey, there's this going on, you know, click this link and, you know, and, 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 and sign your name on this. All those little things, it may seem like 
nothing. It may seem like, well, you know, what's one person? Like it, it, it takes as many people as it can because it creates a bigger voice. And because we have people like Scott and everyone at the PCA um, and Glenn Loop and Josh and uh, just, you know, everybody, I know Jay Davis is here with us tonight. Um, you know, that, that's, that's why, while, I mean, I would say it's not perfect here in the U S it's still not Canada. And I think that that says a lot. And, you know, again, it's because of these organizations and that's, and that's why we talk about it. And that's why people like Scott, they come on the show and we have these conversations. It's, you know, so people are aware, um, it's very real. And, uh, I know that, you know, you guys also have some great manufacturers that, you know, also we'll go to Washington with you and, and, and yeah. talk about these. I know Rocky Patel is, uh, is very active with you guys down in Washington. A lot of times, you know, also being a lawyer too. I mean, he, he understands a lot of that stuff and, um, can be a huge asset to you guys as you kind of fight these little challenges that come up, you know, federally or statewide, like I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, you know, um, we've got the congressional cigar caucus that's going on now. They're having a meeting next month. Carlito Fuentes coming in for that. That's going to be great. Um, and, and it, it all helps because it's the story of the industry. And that's another reason I don't think that people truly connect, you know, the dots on is that the trade show is also a showcase for our industry. The FTA comes to that trade show, you know, the, the Nevada department of taxation, others, they come to the trade show. It's a showcase for the industry for us to, to display the quality uniqueness and craft of the industry. And right now that's critical because we've worked so damn hard as an industry to establish our true narrative, which is we are a cottage industry. It is handcrafted premium cigars and pipe tobacco has nothing to do with underage smoking, has nothing to do with these other nicotine devices. And that's, that's, we, we've got footholds, right? We've got regulators that understand that and are now being able to digest it in a way that is going to hopefully translate into a better future in terms of the regulatory sphere. So all of that being said, it's important for the consumers to engage because great example, uh, 2021, there was a bill that was uh, put up in New Jersey and it was going to require all New Jersey shops that sold tobacco to sell smoking cessation products. So you would have had to have walked into your favorite tobacconist purveyor up there and you'd have to see a wall of things like Nicorette gum and everything else when it has no bearing upon any premium cigar smoker. And so we put out a letter and we had literally hundreds of consumers deluge the senator's office. We got a phone call within a few hours of that bill dropping of the chief of staff of the senator who sponsored it that said, we have never gotten a response like this before. We've pulled the bill. We've amended it to a point to where premium uh, cigar lounges are exempted. This is strictly for places like convenience stores that sell cigarettes and for the vape stores. And so that took care of it. So you can have and will have a phenomenal impact as a consumer by simply engaging in something like that. And we do make it as easy as possible. As Matthew said, it's a click. The letter's written for you. You sign your name, your email, your uh, address, address is in there so that the elected representative knows that you're a constituent and knows that you care and that you're a voter. And it's just a multiplayer effect. And so that's why we work so hard in order to get the consumer engagement because it can have a massive impact and it has, and it will continue, especially the more that the consumers engage with us. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask you, you know, kind of while we're on, you mentioned FDA and now the FDA comes to the show. 
Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, if if there's any update on um, the meta ruling. I know that that's something that you know we heard a lot about last year. Um, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing we were new on that to front. Have that we were supposed to have the remediation months ago, and um, you know I think that he just we were told at one point it was coming soon, whatever that meant. Um, I kind of feel like that song, how soon is now? It's like when uh, Matt Booth asked, yeah, you asked Matt Booth, when's this coming out soon? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Time so uh, he's the, the judge has been, um, he, he's the judge that's overall the, the January 6th stuff and everything. And so he's prioritized a lot of that. So we're, we're just waiting, you know, I would say any day now, but any day now could mean tomorrow. It could mean, six months from now i'm hopeful yeah. it's this calendar year and just it's just a kind of as a quick rehash for for maybe those who aren't familiar so your your remediation um you know just for again to explain to the audience but you know what exactly um is to come at that meeting and, and what exactly can people expect to happen at that point in terms of the cigar industry Last year, the judge made a ruled. Uh, so it was our lawsuit uh, that we were with with the uh, um, CRA, uh, which filed a lawsuit saying that the substantial equivalence rule, uh, which goes back to again making it said basically premium cigars had to be substantially equivalent to any product that was on the market prior to February fifteenth, I believe February fifteenth of two thousand and seven. That was the predicate date, and then they were going to make cigars go through things like constituent testing the same way that they would put like cigarettes through and everything else and. And they'd done some estimates that it was going to be like a half a billion dollar albatross around the premium cigar industry's neck to go through this testing just to bring products to market. And so um, and, and it would have wiped out anything after 2007 would have had to have been pulled off the shelves and then they would have had to go through the process. So all the companies that were founded after 2007, what effectively they wouldn't cease to exist, but they would have ceased to have been sold their products until such time they could go through that substantial equivalence process. But trouble is there was no process that was in place. We sued on the grounds that it was arbitrary and capricious, and we won. And last year, Judge Maida said, yeah, in fact, this was arbitrary and capricious. The remediation now that we're waiting for from him is, is he going to vacate the rule altogether, which means the FDA has to go back completely to the drawing board? Or is he going to say you or, or is he going to come up with his own remediation and say FDA needs to do step one, two and three before it can get to this point? And what does that really mean? So we're a little bit in limbo in terms of of kind of what's going on there. In the interim, when Trump was still in office, we got a working group that was started there in the White House on the premium cigar issue. And they put a lot of pressure on the FDA and the FDA, because they hadn't done any sort of real research in terms of coming up with this rule, started to like ask these questions and put stuff out there. And Judge Maida effectively was like, well, if you haven't asked these questions, how could you have possibly created this rule? And then as part of that, that first decision, then uh, the FDA then used the National Academy of Sciences to start doing this research project on the premium cigar industry. And so they asked a lot of different questions about this and all the research from the National Institute of Health, from the past studies about premium cigar smokers, who smokes, how much and when, when do they start, um, all, all kind of came out in, in terms of that. Uh, and that's that's a lot of the information, Mitchell, that we're trying to share with our friends up in Canada and, and across the world. Because it's the federal government of the U.S. that's done this. And so that's great ammunition for when going to regulators to talk about premium cigars versus the cigarettes or vaping or other things that they're looking to, to police. So in terms of the made a decision, once that remediation comes down, we're going to understand a lot more clearly 
what our, our the, the field that we're actually playing on and what our pathway is in order for victory there. Uh, if it's a full vacation, which I'm crossing my fingers for, I think we all are. Um, that means that we're going to have a um, really good opportunity to really work with them and devise our own type of way of, of a regulatory system that makes sense. Um, good thing the government doesn't work very fast. Uh, there are still 10 plus years down the road of the cigar uh, cigarette warning labels. So um, as a low enforcement priority from the FDA, we do have some time, but it's not time to sit around and do nothing. It's time for us to truly build. I like to say this a lot, but truly build a wall of defense around the industry um, by taking the necessary steps for us to put into place a mechanism like a lot of other industries have done, whether it's like healthcare did when I was there with radiology, the motion picture association, the pharmaceutical industries, they've all done this. And I think that our time is now to do it. And we've got a lot of good consensus around that now. And it's just a matter of us, I think, getting this decision and putting in the work to get it done. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it's time to, you know, take advantage of, right? Uh, it's not, you know, time to just, well, we have time. It's no, it's if you have time like that, take advantage of it. So that way you're you're better set up for the future. I mean, it's all about planning, you know, and uh, the more defense you can build now that when the time comes, uh, you'll be prepared and, you know, you'll have a higher success, um, a higher chance of success or maybe not 100 percent. But, you know, maybe it won't be, you know, as bad as it could have been. Right. Uh, again, right. Look at Canada. I mean, <laughs> you know. Look what's going on over there. Well, even, Go ahead. Even right, right now. So um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but we have plain packaging up in Canada. We all cigar bands have to be it's wrapped true. in a uh, like olive green thing. Uh, we actually don't even have cigar boxes. They have to be repackaged in a cardboard green box and it can be just white bold printing. And that's it. Um, luckily, the with cigaraction.org they're actually fighting a bill right now to they're they're trying to pass um with uh canadian health warning labels so i think it's something like they wanted to apply health warning labels to each individual um yes nicotine yeah, yeah. product so each cigar itself would have to have a warning label on it so it's like you know, even with the plain packaging um, locally in my B&Ms, I saw a decrease in some of those kind of more boutique offerings because they just didn't really have the manpower capabilities to to attribute for distribution with that kind of stuff. You know, we've got some of the bigger brands that already have uh, distribution like that in other countries with plain packaging, and they had no problem transitioning to that. But there was this lull of like six months to 12 months where there was like no boutique cigars almost on the shelves because they just they, they had they didn't they didn't have the money to to get this kind of packaging done for canada and uh it put the onus on the importers within the country to do it for them so yeah right now like i said that that uh that next bill would be an even bigger hit to the industry in canada because like i said already with with the the green labels and stuff now having to apply another extra health warning on top of that would just be uh, very, very difficult for a lot of smaller companies to survive up here. So we're, yeah. we're glad that Cigar Action is kind of uh, helping out with that. I hope we're getting lots of signatures. I know locally I've done a lot of uh, promoting of it. Pretty much every person I know that enjoys cigars I've told to go sign it. And they were like, that was the easiest thing ever. It's literally like five lines, press two buttons yeah. and you're done. So yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't checked the, the latest statistics, but um, I know that Ryan, who spearheads all of our international policy and, and relations there, um, was uh, happy with what the kind of the initial response was there. And I know that we've worked with um, uh, the whole group up there to fight this because, I mean, it's it's just uh, there's no other way to say this. It's just dumb. I mean, it's just dumb. I mean, yeah. it's just, a, you know, people that have too much time on their hands. That's again, they they think they're doing good and, and they're just they, they don't understand. It's like Thomas Sowell says, there's never a solution. There's only trade offs. Well, the trade offs here of what you're experiencing up in Canada is is nowhere near what they believe that they're getting. And that's the problem. The, the biggest thing with our, our education that we're looking at here that we give to, to uh, policymakers is you're not going to have the impact that you think you're going to have. And you're going to destroy small businesses and family businesses, and you're not going to have any impact that you think that you're going to have because no research has shown any population health uh, crisis as it relates to premium cigars. There, you cannot show any deleterious population health outcome from premium cigars. Therefore, any law that's enacted to, you know, the judge made it is arbitrary and capricious, and you're not going to have the effect that you believe that you're going to have, and all you're going to leave in your wake is destruction of small businesses, family life savings, and it's it's just bad policy. Yeah, very true. Very true. Very well said. Thank you for that, Scott. Um, I just want to pause for a second, and I want to do our news segment uh, really quickly. Um, I lost track of time, and I didn't, I didn't even realize how far into the show we were. Damn, that go, it goes by so quick, um, especially at night like tonight with there's so much going on. Um, but I am going to I'm going to do that right now. So our news is once again brought to you by McAuliffe Cigars, featuring the new McAuliffe Black. It's a blackout, featuring a Mexican San Andreas wrapper with Ecuadorian Habano binder and Nicaraguan fillers, available in two sizes: Toro and Robusto. Recently reviewed, the Toro was recently reviewed at SmokingTobacco.com by our own Kevin Acuff, uh, scoring a 91, very high score. Uh, check it out now. You can get it at the number two guyscigars.com. Look at that. Two ads in one. Um, the McAuliffe Black. It's a blackout. Um, so this week for news, we have um, – sorry. I just I scroll in front of me. Um, an interesting release. It's obviously a big release announcement time. So most of our stuff right now is, is just cigar releases and announcements, especially PCA trade show releases and whatnot. Um this one comes from uh, General and uh, Caldwell. Matt Booth and Robert Caldwell will relaunch the LNF La Whenever. Um, the LNF La Whatever Habano, the blend child of boutique cigar pioneers Robert Caldwell and Matt Booth, is relaunching today exclusively on Segura and is hitting the site with new packaging to boot. The limited edition four-country blend goes live on Segura in three sizes and comes in a new 10-count box format. Um... I know that Matt and Robert have collaborated on a couple of projects already, um, and it's you know no surprise to see this uh, to see it come back again. Um, I know that it's launching today, but again, we'll probably see. I think is was this a limited production? I don't remember. Uh, I'm trying to find it right in here. I don't remember if, how many of this were made, but I know they're launching it today. But I'm sure stuff like that we'll probably see. Um, at the trade show for sure uh there's a lot of stuff that's been announced that's shipping before the show but i know that it'll be highlighted at the show so again a lot of the stuff that comes out right now whether it's for pca release or not 
It's probably going to be highlighted at the show, too. Uh, for retailers who are listening who want to get this in, for consumers who you know may be interested in trying it, you know maybe your retailer will pick it up there. Uh, if not, definitely have them get on the horn with whoever they do you know distribution with, depending on you know what it, what brand and whatever we're talking about, and have them order those cigars for you. Uh, because if it's not on the shelf and they don't have it, they won't get it unless you ask. So be sure to talk to your local retailers today regarding any releases that you may want. Um, let's go back to Scott really quick here. Uh, there it is. Sorry. There's a long drop down of all the different overlays and sometimes they get all lost. Um, yeah, Scott, one of the other things I wanted to ask you was, um, PCA releases. Now I know that some other people have probably brought this up with you before. Um, have you guys put any more focus on, it seems in the last couple of years, um, and I haven't been doing um, PCA IPCPR very, very long, uh, a couple of years, but, you know, I, my my historical memory of the past isn't as long as some of the others uh, that we know. Um, but, you know, it, the consensus that You're I... You're already hear, getting dad brain, geez. I know. Uh, it's happening quick. Uh, but the consensus that I hear is that, at least in the media, to, you know, critiques things, um, is that the... The PCA releases, I would say, could how's the best way to put this? What I would just sounding like a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> a lot, I, the, from what I hear and in the things I've seen, a lot of people say that there could be a better effort um, surrounded promoting and pushing um, PCA exclusives to help um, try to get people to come to the trade show. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have said like, well. I know there's manufacturers out there who have a PCA exclusive, but then like they'll they'll sell it to people who didn't even come to the trade show, and it kind of defeats the purpose. Has the PCA themselves kind of looked into the PCA exclusive and tried to work with manufacturers to to make this you know a, a more robust thing uh, that really does help you know entice people to come to the show for you know exclusive product that you know they can't get unless they come. Uh, and not only just just by throwing something out there, but you know, try to not only make something exciting, but making sure that it's you know it's being aware and that, that they're using those products correctly. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could speak on that a little bit as well, if if you could. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things to where when this first kind of started, really in twenty one, um, it was it was really grassroots driven by the manufacturers. So, you know, it wasn't anything that we asked them to do or put out there and said, Hey, about this, a lot of manufacturers were like, Hey, look, you can't just be about the deal and deals are always going on and this and that and the other. And again, it, the trade shows right in the middle of the busy season. So again, people are wanting to get the deals and get products moving earlier. So the, the it was just sort of this, like I said, grassroots at the manufacturer level of them putting out, Hey, we're going to do product, products that you can only get if you come to the trade show, a lot of excitement around it. It built up 2022, a good year. The, the challenge, um, and I think as things are kind of settling a little bit in terms of production and getting back to uh, away from so much of the back orders from all the demand that's been you know out there, um, we, we put out the call for get us the information on your exclusives if you're doing them uh, six months in advance, seven months in advance. We usually do it right around the start of the year. Um, and you know a lot of manufacturers will most of them reach back out and they're like, yeah, we're doing well and we have no idea what it is yet. And so it's, yeah, we don't know until we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And then we get the information and we try to get in, 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 the information in, in as early as we can because we want to get them in print because we've got 
the directory and the magazine and the show issue that's there that wants to list them and show them and everything else. And so we literally just, you know, uh, what, four or five days ago, we're just getting the last ones in. And there's still a few that are listed that we know the companies are doing the PC exclusives, but we still don't have information from them on, on what they're doing. And so they're just simply listed as, as having a PC exclusive. That said, we have had some some pretty deep talks in terms of how do we turn this into an actual program? How do we turn this into you know something that we have a little bit more um, participation in as the association, you know, and programmatically and things like that, to where it is a PCA exclusive. Again, going back to the point of consumer recognition of PCA, why these products are important, because again, support for the show really is all about supporting again the, the greater advocacy for the uh, the industry. So one of the things we're going to start doing this year, anybody who's doing a PC exclusive, as long as, again, it adheres to the fact that you're selling it only to those that are at the show, we're providing free secondary bands for any, any manufacturer that wants them so they can put a PCA band on there. Uh, that way, you know, it's out. And so, you know, so, some people I know, I've seen some that, you know, uh, Padrone had it like burned onto the box so you could see it was the, the PCA exclusive that they had. I know that the CLE Aurora did theirs with the, with the tissue paper that was on there. Um, so... I think that, you know, we want to be able to kind of maybe put it out there again, get the PCA brand awareness. But I I do think, I believe that unless something major happens, I do think you'll see this change to where we'll have more involvement in it uh, so that that way, to your point, we want to be able to, uh, you know, articulate it out to membership and articulate it out as part of the the uniqueness of the trade show and what can happen at the trade show. So I think that we'll see some changes as far as, as how this kind of moves forward in the future probably not as quick of a turnaround for 24 just because the trade shows in March and people are going to be working really, really hard on the manufacturing side to just get ready for 24 because it is a short turnaround, right? It's less than a year. It's eight months difference. So I think that as we move through to 24, we'll work well, I think with our manufacturers on the board as with some advisors as well to make sure we get and get a good program in place that works for, for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned something that, that reminded me, uh, you know, you talk about, um, 24 uh, being about eight months or so um, as much as you know moving the trade show you know was something that you guys wanted to do and um, it has to happen at some point uh, do, do you see any impact of that announcement of the next show being so close uh, affecting this upcoming show at all uh, I know you mentioned before like you guys have already been getting some good numbers in terms of registration but uh, outside of that has there been any other kind of um, negative side to this year's show or things that people have said because they they don't want to go out there twice for a show with, you know, an eight-month period? Or has that really not been as much of an issue as people would think? I think he froze. I think so, too. At first, I thought he was, like, really thinking. And then I'm like, oh, no, he's frozen. Oh, I think we lost him. Damn. Hopefully he, yeah, he dropped out. Hopefully he'll call right back in. Well, that's a bummer. We almost got through the whole how's show and are having an issue. Well, how's your cigar? Yeah, tell me about your cigar. We'll wait for Scott to try to dial back in. Oh, there he is. I've been powering through this thing. It's, Don't power through it too hard. Enjoy it. <laughs> there he is. I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. It was so funny. I finished my question, and then I looked at you, and I thought maybe you were thinking about how to answer the question, and I'm like, did he not understand? And then I'm like, no, he's frozen. <laughs> I'm not, not sure how much of my question you heard, so if you need me to repeat it, I will. 
I think I, you know, I think I, uh, I, I heard most of it, I think. Um, no, so I think that the, the, a couple of negative responses were just from folks that said, you know, um, you know, March is my busiest time of the year. And, and, and I, again, I understand, um, you know, again, for probably 85% of our membership around the country, July is their busiest time of the year. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, but from, from the manufacturing standpoint, uh, I had, I just had a conversation recently with the manufacturer. They, in terms of this year changes, it seems that they are, they, they plan quite a bit ahead of time in order to try to get stuff done. Um, and I think a lot of the decision about the exclusive kind of comes down to the ability to execute in, in the timely fashion and the branding and things like that, as opposed to the production of the cigars. I think that next year we might see some contraction in terms of things like exclusives or some of these other things or them trying to have to maybe work a little double time to try to get some stuff ready. Uh, because again, I was just talking to a manufacturer yesterday where they're like, okay, I've already got to start putting orders in for the amount of cigars we might need for this type of an event or this type of sponsorship or things like that. So I think that we're going to, we're definitely going to hit some growing pains as it relates to turning the show around that quickly for a spring show. Um, ideally it's going to be good learning lessons for us that we don't have to go through again. Uh, but I do think that there's going to be some bumps as we get to, to springtime. I, from what I have heard and, and, and talked to multiple people about that, it's kind of expected at this point um, that that's going to happen. So I guess we'll just, we're going to have to work with it as best we can to, to turn that around. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I figured that there would be, you know, a little bit of discomfort for some people. I mean, you know, when you're talking about manufacturers for one who have a schedule of product release or whatnot. And, um, but you know, again, I kind of also remembered, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I also kind of think back to, um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I think back to the beginning of the show when you talked about how, you know, and I asked you about, you know, what do you have in terms of, you know, attendance numbers, you know, at this point, you know, with still, I know there's still a few weeks to go before the actual, the show actually starts, but, um, and, and you were saying that, you know, it was good. So, you know, I know there was some concern like, oh, well, people maybe not want to attend this trade show and maybe wait just for next year just because of the short turnaround time whether it's retailers or it's manufacturers or you know what have you i mean obviously manufacturers already had stuff planned and ready for this show so it's kind of hard for them to just pull out and just wait for another one but you know there was a little bit of talk of well would a retailer feel like well you know maybe i skipped july and I just wait a little bit longer and then I just go to the, the next show that's in the spring and that's easier for me and I can just spend my money then instead of coming to a show, spending money to come, buying inventory, and then eight months later I'm going back out to Vegas to buy stuff again, um, you know, in less than a year. Um, I think I think that aspect of it, it in the beginning, a lot of people were curious as to maybe how at most it would affect the retailers, but it sounds like maybe not so much. Maybe you know things are are still going to go ahead as planned, and the next show just happens, and people just come back for that show. Yeah, I think because the buying cycles of where they're at and when products ship, and because next year it's going to be at the beginning of that buying cycle and kind of when they really start to turn inventory. That I you know you know again because products coming they get shipped they starts coming in August September October leading into what they've been used to. Um, we've, it, I, there might be a few, but I, I've, I've heard, um, but not as much as one uh, would, I, might think. 
Yeah, I haven't really heard that. You know, we, we um, you know, Lisa Sigler and I have been on the road quite a bit over the past you know, month and a half. A lot of new retailers have joined up. A lot of them are excited about coming this year. We have some that are opening up shops here towards the end of the year that are that are, that are trying to get everything um, buttoned up so that they can come too. Uh, you know, even look if there there's one that just reached out to me today that they're going to be opening up here towards the end of the year, and even though it's a short turnaround to the next trade show, they want to come this year because they want to start establishing relationships. They want to start opening up accounts. So I think that the business purpose overall for the show is still as strong as ever. And I think that even though it is a tight turnaround, maybe in potentially terms of orders, I think it's a completely different um, animal just because of where in the buying cycle it's going to happen. And particularly for March, really getting products in because they're not – by and large, they're not ordering now in order to look at turns for next spring, right? So right. when they're ordering in March of next year, they're looking at their their turns starting with April and heading into the busy season when it warms up and golfers are out there and weddings are happening and and, and people are smoking more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, Juan Lopez had made a comment before. Um, if I can find it, it was right here. Um, Vegas 2024 in March is going to be at 90 to 95% attended for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's coming. I'm going to hold you to that one. Yeah. You know, so don't forget that. Hold him, hold him to it. Does that mean that, <laughs> does that mean that Juan is going to be 95% sober so that he's 95% mentally there? <laughs> oh man. Shots fired. <laughs> that's not a shot. That's admiration. <laughs> Juan does his best work. Not sober. I will admiration. say, I did have to tell him. So it was, I think, day two of the trade show last year, and I was in the booth, and I had told him because you know we were in, we went to Vegas very early last year because we got married. So, um, you know, and everyone knew about the wedding, whatever. So after the wedding, we went to Revitalize or whatever it's called. We got the IV, yeah, yeah. just because we were already in town for so long, we were already you know dried out and we were already you know tired, and then the trade show started for us. So then it was like, okay. Uh, and Nicole got sick, and so you know we, we we got the IV treatments done, which Nicole actually did several times um, because she was sick. And I remember telling Juan about it, and he was just like, "Where do I go? Just tell me where to go. <laughs> How do I get there?" <laughs> Bro, point me the way. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell yeah, me? Can no, you text I, that to me? Juan's got a lot. To, Juan ought to be drinking, man. Juan's got a lot to celebrate, right? He's in you know wedded bliss. He just had a phenomenal honeymoon. I mean, my God, I, I hope he's I hope he's still celebrating. Yeah, Juan and Bianca have also had a pretty big year. So, you know, good for them, you know. Um, just congratulations to them once again. Uh, can't wait to see them and everyone else at the trade show in a couple of weeks and kind of celebrate with people who uh, we haven't seen since things have happened. And, uh, it's, and again, it's it's what makes the trade show so special, too. It's outside of the business. It's it's the people, too. Um, but, Scott, you know, we well, are getting – I have getting... a question for you. I don't want you to – I don't, you don't need to reveal what it is, but – have you picked out the cigar you're going to smoke for when your child is born? Yes. Um, Excellent. It, uh, the cigar is, uh, I don't want to say too much yet, but I will say the cigar is being made at the, at, at the moment. So, Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. So that's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
it's uh it's a very a very good friend of mine is working on something for me so that's uh, that's all i can say <laughs> and if you know me really well it's probably not too hard to figure out but that's all i'm gonna say so um yeah no that there is something that's been been picked out uh i honestly don't know much about it but i know that there's something being made and uh when i know more i will reveal so yeah to quote Fletch, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure that out. I think Mary Holmes could have figured that out. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. I uh, look forward to uh, seeing it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I when 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 I last asked this person, hey, is there any update? I was told, yeah, don't worry about it. It's a surprise. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I wish I had more, but even if I wanted to, I don't. I don't have the information. So. Um, I guess we'll all see, uh, but no, yeah. I I don't. Uh, that's I I actually I appreciate that quite. That's that's cool. That's a good one. Um, but no, I do, we are getting towards the end of the show, so and I don't want to hold you up for too long. So um, I do appreciate you coming on with us, Scott. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always great. I love talking with you. Hang with us as we finish the show. Um, but. To everyone else, thank you for listening and watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all of our social media platforms, our YouTube channel, and everywhere you get your podcasts from on all of the podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe and download these episodes and listen to them at your leisure. Head over to SmokeAndTobacco.com today for more news, reviews, and our upcoming 2023 PCA trade show and convention coverage brought to you by Drew Estate, The Rebirth of Cigars. With that, we'll see you next week with Dean Parsons from Epic Cigars. And there's no spare notes this week. Our last pre-PCA Spare Note show will be next Saturday night. And uh, that'll be probably our, our last one on uh, whatever updates and releases for the show come out. We'll really dive into that. Uh, the week after that, I'm not sure who's coming on, but I know right before the trade show, we have Lito Gomez Jr. from LFD coming on the show. who will be talking about his new cigar that launched at the trade show last year the Solus or Solid, depending on how you say it. So uh, a couple of great shows coming up. And then, of course, it's the trade show. And then after that, we have our post-trade show coverage and shows uh, that you don't want to miss. So a lot happening, a lot going on. Don't forget to follow us. Visit the website to stay up to date on it. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for spending your time with us at Smokin' Tobacco. Please remember to like and subscribe for more episodes and content. And as always, visit SmokinTobacco.com for news and updates from the cigar industry.